a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. A psalm. Any psalm, he said. So immediately, I thought, I'll pick the most obscure psalm that I can find in the Bible. Because I've had the experience in the past of speaking on a well-known psalm and having someone come up to me at the end and telling me that it was their very favourite psalm and they loved it all their lives and they once heard Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones or Terry Virgo or Steph Liston speak on it and then they told me all that I missed or got wrong or didn't understand so I skipped. And as I was thinking that, I really sensed God speak to me about Psalm 23, which is probably the best-known, most-loved psalm in all of history. So I was sitting there thinking, thanks for that, Lord. Okay. And I procrastinated for a bit. And then I thought, I'll read it. So I started to read it. And as I read, things began to open up for me in Psalm 23 that I'd never seen before. And that's one of the things that I love about the Bible. It's a living word, isn't it? So we're going to read it together in a minute. But Psalm 23, you may already be very familiar with. You may already have quite a long history with this psalm. And in it, David is exploring two of the best known images of God in the whole of the Bible. He explores the image of God as a shepherd, and he explores the image of God as a, as a generous host. And in exploring those images, David is drawing upon his experiences of life. So he's drawing on his own experience to explore these images. And it seems to me in the psalm that he's drawing on uh, his experience of three different seasons of his life that he has walked through. Now, if you read an NIV, you'll notice Psalm 23 is divided into two stanzas. The first one, verses uh, 1 to 4, is the shepherd imagery. And the second one, verses 5 and 6, is the image of God as a host. If you read an ESV, which is what I'm going to be reading from, or other similar translations, it will be divided into three stanzas, verses 1 to 3, verse 4, and verses 5 and 6. And they reflect the three seasons of life that David is drawing upon as he explores this image of God, or these two images of God. So let's read Psalm 23 together. If you've got a Bible, please do open it, leave it there. We're not going to look anywhere else. Um, We're going to refer to this all the way through the morning, so leave it there. And we'll just read this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Okay, they're probably familiar words to you. We're going to explore verses 1 to 3 to start with. We're just going to unpack this. And this, I think, is a season of restoration. For David, he's writing, as he explores the image of God the shepherd, he's drawing on his experiences of what it is to be restored by God. Now actually David went through this kind of season a number of times in his life. 
I think we've got a picture that might help us. And we just need to think about what restoration actually is. So um, this is where you have to engage your brains and prove that you're still with me. What kind of stuff do people restore? Furniture. Furniture. Okay, so furniture gets restored. Cars get restored, yeah. Pardon? Chatsworth House. Buildings get restored. <laughs> LA actors get restored, yeah. I'll give it to you, Chase. That's not one I'd thought of. <laughs> Garden equipment gets restored. Okay, over time, stuff just decays, doesn't it? So the classic car sitting uh, out in the open somewhere, you know, the, the body starts to rust, the paintwork deteriorates, the engine seizes up, or, uh, <laughs> or paintings, you know, you might think about paintings that get dirty and lose their colour, um, or someone comes along with a knife and slashes the canvas, and somebody has to come along and bring it back to its former glory. Okay, now in one sense, we are all being restored, because we were created in the image of God, and that was shattered when Adam and Eve sinned. And, and the whole history of the Bible and all the rest of eternity beyond is the story of God restoring his image in people. So we're all in a season of restoration slightly. But we know what it is to have times of life where we particularly suffer damage or where our vulnerabilities and our insecurities and our weaknesses are kind of very much at the fore. And that can happen for all kinds of reasons. could be that somebody mistreats you very badly. I hear stories occasionally in my work of people who've experienced very tough times in their childhood, parents who've mistreated them, and they carry that damage with them for years. Uh, It could be that that somebody close to you has died, and suddenly your your insecurities and, and your doubts and your worries come very much to the front. It could be that ill health strikes, and suddenly... You, you, you may lose some things because your health is gone and you go through this period of restoration. David didn't have a great uh, childhood in some senses. He doesn't seem to have, you know, when Samuel turned up to anoint the king, David doesn't seem to have been very highly thought of by his family, does he? Or when he goes to take the sandwiches when, when they're battling against the Philistines. His own son rebelled against him at one point. There's another point in his life where um, his men are following him and while they're away, their, their, their camp is raided and their wives and children are taken and people want David's life. So he goes through seasons of restoration. can be our own sin, of course. And for David, that happened in his life as well. So we end up in this season of restoration. The first thing that David says uh, of great importance in this season and in any season of life is the Lord is my shepherd. And for the, for the people at the time that David is writing, that's a very well-known picture of God shepherding his people. And for David, of course, he had been a shepherd. It draws on loads of his own experience as well. And he begins to explore in this psalm some of what that means. A God who cares for him, a God who provides for him, a God who leads him and guides him, a God who keeps him safe and protects him. But what I love about this first sentence that picks up uh, very much on what Paul and Tim brought us to us uh, earlier this morning is that David doesn't say the Lord is our shepherd. He says the Lord is my shepherd. Do you know what it is to have a personal relationship with a sovereign God? Do you know what that is? That is the most important thing in life. It's what sees us 
through. And maybe you've been prayed for in that context already this morning. There'll be another opportunity at the end. But in a season of restoration, when your doubts and your insecurities and your fears and your weaknesses are at the foremost, the most important thing to know is that you have a personal relationship with a sovereign God. That will see you through. And Rick Warren says in Purpose Driven Life, you don't know God is all you need until God is all you've got. And David says the same thing. I have a personal relationship with a sovereign God I shall not want. And uh, I found in seasons of restoration that they're often associated with loss. We might have lost something. We might have lost our role or our place or a loved one or a family. And we can look back at what we had and think, I want to be back there. I want to have those things back again. Or we can look at other people at what they've got that we haven't and think, I want that. And, and David is very clear. And, and you reach this point as God leads you through these seasons of knowing that he is all that you need. And, and there's a transition that happens in this kind of season from looking back and thinking, I want that back, to finding fulfillment in God and then looking ahead at what God is going to do, coping with that sense of loss and transitioning through to not what you had before, but what God is going to do in the future is a significant part of this kind of season. And also part of this is just the concept of rest. So this is a very powerful pastoral image, isn't it? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. If you've got an NIV, it says quiet waters which is an image I much prefer because we used to live near a golf complex complex called Quiet Waters. Nick Faldo used to play there quite a bit. I quite like the idea of God leading me around Quiet Waters on a regular basis. Alistair Park hasn't quite got the same ring, has it, Matt? But, but rest is important. You know, we live in a culture where constant busyness is a cultural norm, that you work far more hours than you're paid for, And even in your social time, the pressure is to pack it with busyness and doing stuff. And in a season of restoration, one of the things you have to learn is you have to learn to put those things down. So it it may be that you know this even in a church context, that in the past you've been involved in some aspect of ministry in church. Perhaps you've led things or you've been involved in worship or kids work or smile or some aspect of church life. And just for a season, just while you're coping... With, with the damage and the weaknesses that God is dealing with, you just need to lay that down. And that's not easy to do. I, I, I've got no problem with the idea of rest. I'm pretty good at resting. What amuses me uh, about the way David expresses it is the element of compulsion that David speaks about. He makes me lie down. It's just in my head it creates this picture of a god, a shepherd rather, wandering through a flock of unsuspecting sheep <laughs> Just seeing if he can like, woof, get one over. Because you can't, you can't talk to them and make them lie down, can you? Sheep are not easily trained, are they? I suspect. I suspect sheep are not easily trained. One of the reasons I think that is that somewhere down the line, some shepherd decided it was actually quicker and simpler to get a couple of wolves and domesticate them and train them to chase the sheep around in a field so that he could get the sheep to do what he wanted to do. Dave Gorman would have loved that guy. Pure genius. Imagine that kind of blue sky thinking 
we think, I just can't get my sheep to do what I want. I know. I'll catch a couple of wolves and I'll train them to chase the sheep around. I love this picture. And sometimes God makes you lie down. And uh, that's not always a very easy or pleasant experience. But when God wants to restore you, he might just stop you in your tracks in order to do it. Some people respond to damage by just throwing themselves into busyness. Generally speaking, not a good idea. God wants you to rest. He wants you to take care of yourself. What do sheep do in green pastures? They eat. What do they do with still waters? They drink. This is a, a season where, for a while, you just need to focus on getting yourself right and well again. And it's important that you do that. And it's important in that process that you let God do everything that needs to be done. David says, he restores my soul. Now, if you imagine uh, you've got a couple of friends who've maybe, maybe the guy's been restoring a car for quite some time. And, you know, and every time you, you have them around for a meal or you go around there for a meal, he talks about this classic car that he's restoring and it kind of goes on for a couple of years. It seems to be his passion. And then one day you go around there and he opens up the garage door and he lets you look at this car. And it looks superb. You know, the paintwork is glistening. The chrome is just perfect. The, the leather upholstery is beautiful. It just looks fantastic. And you say, hey, can we go out for a spin in this car? And he says, well, no. Well, why not? You've not got it insured? What's going on? He says, well, I didn't bother with the engine. It looks great, but I didn't bother with the engine. You know, my experience of being restored in God is that it's possible to get to a point where appearances can look like everything's fine. You know, for a while, I, I, I woke up on the 11th of March 2009 and my brain had left the building. Just gone completely. And every time someone said, how are you doing? I just dissolved. Eventually, you get to a point where someone said, how are you doing today? And you can say, yeah, I'm okay. Good days, bad days, things are okay. But inside, oh, there's loads to be done. I still have loads to be done. You know, we can get to the point where we can come on a Sunday morning and we can walk through the doors and we can, it can seem like everything's fine. And you go home and you pick up all your troubles and worries again. God's not interested in the kind of restoration where the paint works great and the engine's unrepaired. He wants to restore your soul. He wants to meet with you in your inmost being. He wants to deal with the intimate parts of you. You have to make yourself vulnerable. This is a, a long process very often, but God wants the very, very best. And he won't settle for, in appearance, everything's fine. He won't settle for that. Don't you settle for that. You will never be satisfied in God if all you're concerned with is, do I look fine to other people? He restores my soul. Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. How are we doing in our inmost place? And then he says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And I think this is important to hold on to. In this season of restoration, it's God who's leading you. Now, sometimes you can feel like you've lost all sense of direction. You've lost something. You, you know you're hurt. You know your pain. You're not sure where God is. You lose a sense of direction that God continues to lead you in righteous paths. So some of what you have to do is 
the, the right things that God has already shown you and revealed to you. Uh, when I was first ill, I tried reading a psalm a day. It's as much as I could manage, but I just knew I just needed to keep on reading God's word. For, for days and weeks and months, nothing jumped out the page at me. And then one day, I arrived at a psalm, and every verse, God just started speaking into my life. Here it is, here it is. But I had to make a choice to do right things. Keep walking righteous paths. And it's not just or simply for your benefit that God does these things. Although God loves you and cares for you and wants to restore you, ultimately, the restoration of his image in you is about his glory. And we can get very caught up and introspective in our own world when we're really suffering, can't we? And and David just encouraged us, lift your eyes out of your own situation. God is leading you through this and doing this work in you for his name's sake. It's for his glory that God is doing this. We really have to hold on to that. Okay, so that's a season of restoration. Just, Just help me a little bit. If that rings any bells with you, if you kind of identify with that sense, yeah, you've walked through that kind of season in your life, can you just... Just raise a hand. I'm just interested who I'm connecting with. Okay? Okay. Not everybody will. Okay, I'm not saying everybody walks through these seasons. It may be that you haven't walked through it yet. Okay? And what I'm going to ask you to remember if you haven't walked it yet is remember Psalm 23. You won't remember me or anything I've talked about, but just come back to Psalm 23. Okay? We'll look at the next season now. And verse 3 leads into verse 4. And this is a season of testing. Have we lost my pictures? This is a season of testing. And and I think verse 3 leads into it. So we'll read that again just to remind ourselves. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This valley of the shadow of death, this dark valley is a place of testing. Now, I can make you this guarantee. You will experience a season of testing in your Christian life. So if you, if you already have, or you're in it, do you just want to raise your hands? Because it just helps me know. Okay, not everybody has. Okay, that's interesting. I guarantee you will, because God calls us to it. He deliberately leads us into dark valleys. See, this is not about sin. This is not about doing something wrong and wandering away. He leads me in paths of righteousness. And even though I'm in this dark valley, you're with me. Okay, this season of testing comes to all Christians. If you were in it, did you rejoice in it? No. No, nor did I. Nor do I, actually. Um, Though they're not easy times to walk through, are they? But... But the great Christians who wrote scripture for us tell us that the appropriate response to to being tested is to rejoice. Um, I don't quite know how you do that. I can't give you any wisdom, but I know it's true. Paul says we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering develops perseverance and perseverance character. We rejoice in a time of testing, in a season of testing, because we know that God is doing something in our inmost being In that time, he's working on our character. That's off-putting. I assume it's not me you're laughing at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. These have come. No, that's not right. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. For we know that the testing of our faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. God leads you, leads you through a season of testing so that your character and your heart are made complete before him. Peter says that trials of many kinds have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes though it's refined by fire, may be proved genuine and result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. So the testing of our faith develops our character, proves our faith, glorifies Jesus. Wayne Grudem, don't know if you know Wayne Grudem, but he's a, a much-loved theologian in New Frontiers. He says this, We should see all the hardship and suffering that comes to us in life as something that God brings to us to do us good, strengthening our trust in him and our obedience and ultimately increasing our ability to glorify him. Edmund Clowney, in his commentary on that passage in Peter, says, Peter does not ask us to view suffering as inevitable in the world under the curse. A life of suffering is our calling, not our fate. It is our calling because we are God's people. It is our calling because it was Christ's calling. You will, sorry, if you haven't already, you might be hesitant. You will experience seasons of testing in your Christian life because God uses them to develop your character and to bring glory to Jesus. Okay? What is the number one danger in a season of testing then? How do we cope with it? What's the most dangerous thing we face? I'll tell you, when a sheep walks through a dark valley, the number one danger is not the bandits who might be hiding there or the predators. The number one danger in a season of testing is fear. Because fear will pull you in this direction, while faith will pull you in this direction. So when you look at your circumstances and you start to ask questions like, how will I cope if she dies? What will, I ha what will happen if he leaves me? What if I never get well? What if they sanction my benefits this week? What if I lose my job? And you start to operate out of fear, the decisions that you make will be massively different from the ones that you will make if you're operating out of faith. God is with me. He provides for me. He cares for me. He leads me. He guides me. If you think about your finances, the kinds of decisions that you make financially, if you're worried that you'll lose your benefit or you'll lose your job, the kind of decisions you make about what you give to God, how generous you are with your friends, what work you do for the poor, are very different from if you're operating out of faith and thinking God will meet my every need. Yeah? Or if you think about relationships, the kinds of decisions that you make, if what you think about relationships is, what will other people think of me? What will, they, what will the gossip be if I do this? What will people say if I make this decision? If you're looking at at that kind of stuff, and you're frightened about how people will respond, you'll make very different decisions from if you're operating out of faith over here, and you know that you're a child of God, 
You're enjoying his inheritance. You're adopted into his family. You're here to please God, not men. Yeah? You just make very different decisions. Fear pulls you in one direction. Faith pulls you in another. And the most dangerous thing that you face when you're being tested is fear. And David has the answer. I will not fear. Why? Because you are with me. If you have a personal relationship with a sovereign God, you have nothing to fear. Yeah? That's good news. Hallelujah. Okay. So you will go through a season of testing. Be prepared for it. Okay? The third season I want to look at this morning is a season of blessing. Okay, and this is, verse, this is the, the last two verses of the psalm. Let's just read this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Okay, this is a season of blessing. Now, we live with tremendous blessing, don't we? I mean, every day of our lives, as children of God, there is tremendous blessing. In fact, Paul says in Ephesians, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We have forgiveness of sin. We have mercy. We have grace. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the gifts that he brings. We have our sonship. We have huge blessing. But even so... There are times in life where God seems to favor you and good thing after good thing after good thing comes your way. How many people have experienced a season of blessing? Okay. About the same number for each. That's interesting. So we have this picture of God preparing a table before us. Now, how do you picture that table? What does it look like to you? Sometimes on a Friday night when the girls have gone to resound, Mel and I go out. We might go out and have a drink or exciting things like Ikea. Wix. <sighs> no, don't, don't do being cute. Or occasionally we go out for a meal. And there's one place where we go for a meal that really amuses me because they've got this table that's like this square at this place. And you wouldn't choose to eat your meal there, but it gets very busy, you see. And, and sometimes that's the only table available. It's the only table for a very good reason. If you order something like steak and chips, the waiters are very clever, you see. They bring your plate to the table and they make sure that the, the steak is on the far side of the plate. Because you can't actually fit two plates on this table and so there's a little bit of overhang over this side. And, and if the steak was on that side, and you would try, it would just finish up in your lap, you see. You can barely get two plates. That's not the kind of table that God has prepared for you. We have some people coming over for lunch today because it's Michael's birthday. We're going to have 13 people around for lunch. We've got one of those IKEA tables that, you know, it squeezes down to six for when it's just the five of us and the unseen guest at every meal. And you can, whose name is Stuart at the moment. And you can stretch this table and put a bit in the middle. And, and you can have eight people. And then you can stretch it again and you can put another bit in the middle and you can have ten people around it. God's table just seems to go on forever. And it's full of the most amazing food. You prepare a table before me. This is King David with all his wealth. What kind of food was on there? I mean, the choicest of meats and the, and the most succulent of vegetables. Or, succulent vegetables? Succulent of fruits, freshest of vegetables. <laughs> the, the crispiest of poppadoms and naans and the most beautiful masalas and persanders. It's just, and it's full of it. 
It's full of it. Do you know what he wants you to do with this table and with this food? What does he want you to do? He wants you to enjoy it. In a season of blessing, God gives you these good things so that you can enjoy them. Imagine turning up to King David's court and he's prepared this table for you. And you say, actually, David, I'm on a diet at the moment. And it's a bit of a low-carb week. And uh, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not supposed to have any meat at all till next Thursday. I don't suppose you've got any cabbage and onion soup, have you? You, just, you wouldn't dream of it, would you? Would you? Please say no. Please say you wouldn't dream of doing that. Don't settle for cabbage and onion soup when God is blessing you with such choice. Fair. He gives it to you so that you can enjoy it. So enjoy it. Enjoy the blessings. He anoints my head with oil. This is a sign of real honor for the guest. You are an honored guest at God's table. He wants to anoint you with oil. You know, anointing is not just for the special few. It's not. We are all anointed. We've referred to that this morning already, I think. The touch of the Holy Spirit upon us. God has got things for you that he wants you to do, that he is anointing you to do by his spirit. You're an honored guest at the table. You are anointed by God. Surely my cup overflows. This is, you know, this is a wonderful picture, isn't it? It is if you love wine. My cup overflows. God's blessing, we can't contain it. It just spills out of us in a season of blessing. So all the love that God has loved you with spills out and overflows to the people around you. All the grace that God has poured on you spills out and flows out to the people around you. Your family, your workmates, your community. It just keeps flowing. All the mercy, all the goodness, it just pours out of you because you can't hold it in. So in a season of blessing, don't try and hold it in. Just bless people. Use all the good that God has given you. Enjoy it. Bless people with it. Don't try and hold on to it. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. You know, when you're in a season of blessing, you have to really root that in your heart. Because it won't feel like that when you're in a season of testing. And it might not feel like that in a season of restoration. The season of blessing is the time to make decisions about the principles you will live by. Because you'll make better decisions when you're really aware of the love and the grace and the mercy and the goodness and the kindness of God. And, and those principles will see you through difficult times. Does that make sense? This is the time to say, this is how I'm going to live. This is what I'm going to do with my finances. This is how I'm going to parent my kids. This is how I'm going to respond to my parents. This is the kind of commitment I'm making to my church family. This is how I'm going to treat the poor. You make them in a season of blessing so that you have the strength and the courage and the security to live them out in other seasons of life. And these decisions aren't just about the here and now. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. These decisions resound in eternity. It's not just about the here and now. Don't, don't try and hold it in and store up treasure on earth, Jesus says, but store up treasure in heaven. Remember that the way you deal with the way that God's blessed you has eternal consequences for you and for the people around you. We're not just living three score years and ten. We're living for eternity. And the decisions that we make now and the way that we walk with God now 
has eternal influence and impact in the lives of the people around us as well as ourselves. Yeah? So David knows what it's like to walk through different seasons of life. And as he explores these images, God as a shepherd, God as a host, he draws on his experience of seasons of restoration, seasons of testing, seasons of blessing. You may well walk through those seasons. You may well be in one of those seasons. And what I want to offer you is the opportunity just to come and pray with people if you are walking through one of those seasons. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday.